Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate that. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. We're ready to go here as we take a look at weather today, harvest uh, getting underway. John Baranek with DTN will join us, give us a harvest forecast. We're going to talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire, get the latest results from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. And Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will join us to talk about some uh, legislative issues, all that coming up. On today's program, so glad that you're with us. Um, going to be an interesting week ahead. We kind of set the stage with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good holiday. I sure did, Mike. I hope you did as well. You sure did. And, yeah, a little bit of harvesting. Uh, it's starting to pick up each day, so we're heading into that busy harvest season. We urge everyone, please be careful. Let's have a safe harvest season well sarah also as harvest starts up uh, we're kind of watching some infrastructure issues from uh, the recent hurricane ida um, there's still some damage to be repaired that uh, could slow things down a little bit but hopefully that's uh, things are going to open up yeah mike as we reported from talking to some of the officials who are in that area uh, they do hope to have the uh, traffic moved out and, and some of the damaged barges out of the way uh, later this week. But certainly, you know, it's been a setback for those who are starting to harvest in the south already and want to move products. There was uh, quite a bit of damage done to a Cargill terminal there. and It just is, a, I guess, a constant reminder that, uh, you know, Mother Nature is uh, always going to be trying to challenge what infrastructure we do have and it can uh, certainly take precedence over our efforts to keep our exports moving. You've had a recent conversation with Secretary Vilsack. What did you take from that? Well, I think he's, um, you know, being very uh, open. I know you talked to him recently, too, about his desire to really fulfill his uh, objectives, especially on trying to get more money for conservation. He uh, talked to us for about a half hour uh, on everything from, you know, how this budget reconciliation package that we're going to see hopefully some details on later this week, uh, how that might impact the desire of lawmakers to get, uh, for example, Senator Debbie Stabenow wants $50 billion in additional conservation funding, and, and all those resources can go to helping shore up our much-needed conservation programs that are really oversubscribed, like uh, the environmental quality incentives program and CSP, you know, there's a lot of interest in getting more conservation on the ground and, and addressing climate change issues, but uh, those dollars are not yet surfaced. And we're not sure how this budget reconciliation package is going to play out, whether they'll get their $3.5 trillion or not really remains to be seen. And they did not attract as many acres to the CRP as they had hoped, but as you mentioned, he's... Uh, looking at these other efforts to be able to to get the conservation uh, work done, uh, get the try to reach the goals that they have set. Yeah, and one of the other challenges for him, and we did talk to him quite a bit about workforce issues because he's about uh, three to four thousand workers short when he came into the department. Now that's department wide, but a lot of those folks, especially for NRCS, could be providing technical assistance and helping farmers on the ground. And so, uh, you know, trying to get not only his political appointments in place, but his career folks as well has been a real challenge. You have an interesting um, report coming out. Uh this week, it's become an annual uh, uh, survey that you that you do. The CEO salary report. This uh, always gets a lot of attention, doesn't it? It certainly does, Mike. And we work on it for several months. 
Uh, we're really dedicated to making sure that we're not only reporting and getting people changes from year to year, but adding a few new organizations. And speaking of Secretary Vilsack, you can see that he's taken quite a pay cut from his time at the U.S. Dairy Export Council, where he was making um, a total compensation, including retirement, base pay, and everything that we look at. Um, he was making about $900,000, and cabinet secretaries are closer to $220,000. So, you know, quite a change. But this is a report that people look at not only to see how their association dollars are being paid to compensate their CEOs, but also looking at how it compares to others like animal rights groups, the uh, renewable fuel folks, how they compare to the Petroleum Institute. And, you know, so we've got a really broad range of, of uh, CEO salaries in this report that will come out tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be looking uh, forward to seeing seeing that. One of the things that Secretary Vilsack is also saying, we're going to start seeing some of this uh, COVID assistance money finally get to the biofuels industry. Yes, there's been a big push to get the money out the door and in so many areas. You know, that's why I think some people are saying, uh, how are we going to spend $3.5 trillion when we haven't gotten all the existing funds out the door? But um, a big push to not only get the infrastructure money out for biofuels, but also from some of the lawmakers who saw another letter over the weekend go into, let's keep pushing more and more usage of biofuels in order to address climate change. So um, I think there's a lot of positive momentum, but of course there's also a lot of folks who are opposed to this as well, and, and they're really pushing back. We know there are strong feelings uh, for and against uh, the COVID vaccine vaccinations and whether or not you, you should be forced to get them, or is that right or wrong? Uh, but farm groups and agribusinesses are starting to get involved in this as well, aren't they? They did. As we reported last week, there was a coalition of groups that came together and said, hey, we're seeing this firsthand. I mean, I'm sure you know um, President of American Farm Bureau, Zippy Duvall, he had COVID. A lot of these other farm leaders have been through it. Um, for for many people, like even myself, you know, I didn't have a very uh, tough case. It was like a day. But at the same time, if I could have been vaccinated before I got it, I certainly would have. And now I'm happy to be vaccinated. And I think that the message that all these farm groups are sending is that you have a choice here and you can help fight the spread by getting your own vaccination. All right. So, Sarah, we, uh, we'll watch this week uh, on this reconciliation package uh, and see where this goes. I mean, there, it's still very much up in the air. What happens? We've seen uh, the, the position of uh, uh, Joe Manchin, who's he's kind of pumping the brakes on this. So we'll see where, where this goes. Yeah, she also saw a letter over the weekend from some of the GOP Ag Committee members saying, you know, hey, let's not do this alone. We need to be bipartisan. Um, so I, I'd really encourage everybody to really start t- staying tuned on Thursday and Friday when they start trying to get their ducks in order on it, specifically what they want to include in this from the Democrats and also what um, what other farm organizations are going to do. As we've talked before, uh, it's one thing to say you want more money for conservation, but are you willing to do away with step-up basis and other things to pay for them? And I think most groups should say no. That's right. All right, uh, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Have a great week. You too. Sarah Wyan, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, our harvest forecast with DTN meteorologist John Baranek coming up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Just a reminder that next week it'll be Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska, next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'll be broadcasting from Husker all three days and once again at the Syngenta Tent. And uh, looking forward to talking with folks uh, next week at Husker Harvest Days. So um, that's, that show is a lot uh irrigation equipment and really geared to livestock handling as well so a, a little different uh, focus than we had uh, last week at farm progress but uh, in many ways very similar we look forward to uh, a good show next week in grand island nebraska tuesday wednesday and thursday i'll be broadcasting from the syngenta tent it's going to be interesting in making my way to grand island chance to kind of do a uh, windshield harvest uh, look as I go uh, several miles and be able to check out see who's in the fields and I'm starting to see a little bit of activity here where I'm at in Illinois and we're certainly getting into that busy harvest season when again urge everyone be careful let's have a safe harvest season this year and that uh, not only for farmers but for all people in rural areas on the roads there's gonna be a lot of equipment moving be careful, be patient, uh, be observant, and uh, let's all work together to have a safe harvest season. We mentioned earlier with Sarah that um, recovery from Hurricane Ida continues as we go into this uh, harvest season, and we're going to talk more about that tomorrow with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, but they're still trying to clean up and repair from fallen structures, Electric wires are down, damaged barges are still kind of clogging things up, but 
they hope to get that uh, make some real improvement in cleaning that up and clearing it out uh, here this week so uh, we'll be watching that situation closely well we're also watching closely weather as we head into this harvest season um, storms now can really be a problem we've talked with farmers in in certain spots already in Iowa and then in some other states that have had some locally heavy uh, storms and rainfall and wind causing some crop damage and that's a big concern as we head into harvest let's talk weather with John Baranek DTN meteorologist joins us now John thank you good to talk with you last week good to see you at Farm Progress Show yeah it was really good to see you there too Mike I know you had a chance to talk with quite a few farmers and they were probably very uh, interested in what your harvest forecast was yeah, they were. And, uh, you know, it's actually looking pretty good, at, you know, all things considered, uh, across the western Corn Belt and across the eastern Corn Belt as well. Uh, the harvest season, at least, looks like it'll be uh, the best uh, of, this, of the three if you could take planting and, and uh, the growing season together with the, with the harvest. And the harvest looks like it's going to be pretty good across all areas. The concern, though, as I mentioned, these pop-up isolated uh, thunderstorms, they can cause some real damage. You're right. And this time of the year, we're, you know, when they happen, you don't get a chance to recover. Plants are dying, so they don't really have a chance to get, to get moving. So uh, we do have a, a system moving through today here on Tuesday. Looks like we're going to get some uh, scattered showers and thunderstorms. They're already starting to pop up in Wisconsin. We'll see some, uh, probably some better chances for severe weather here through central Illinois up through Michigan. Uh, they're going to be scattered, and it's not going to be everywhere, and they probably won't be as heavy as we've seen across Iowa, Illinois, the last couple weeks. Um, but we do have a chance here for kind of all modes of severe weather to happen. So there could be some tornadoes, some hail, and some wind gusts with that. So uh, unfortunately, you know, this time of the year is not when you want to see the, the, the damage, and, and that's where it looks like it could be today. Good news after that, though, is we don't really have a, a real significant chance for any severe weather uh, until probably next week. What about temperatures this week? Temperatures this week uh, also going to be on the, the more favorable side, uh, right around normal for the most part across the eastern Corn Belt, uh, maybe a couple degrees below here in the next couple of days outside of today. Um, and then we'll be warming up a little bit as we go into the weekend. Temperatures probably going to be into the 80s across much of the eastern Corn Belt. It'll really help to, to dry down their crops out there. Other than these pop-up isolated storms, does the forecast look pretty favorable then for the month of September? For the most part, yeah. So we do have a situation where we've got uh, right now there's a ridge out in the western U.S. That's going to kind of shift into the to the Four Corners region. And the northern edge of it is going to weaken a bit. So that's going to allow some systems to move through uh, the North Pacific and through Canada. The fronts to those systems will be moving through the Corn Belt uh, next week. And... Uh, probably will continue, at least models believe they'll probably continue through the rest of the, the month of September, too. So really what we're going to see is, is, is fronts moving through, which means uh, scattered showers and possible thunderstorms. Uh, the risk for severe weather is typically low with that. We, we, uh, more northern areas might see some, some uh, chances for some severe weather out of that as you get closer to the low pressure center. But for the most part, just some scattered showers moving through. And unless one of these fronts really stalls out across the area, rainfall amounts should be on the lower end too. So we may see some periodic showers in, in throughout the rest of the month of September here starting next week. And then, um, but the rainfall amounts should be kind of around or, or maybe even below normal. What about uh, any help, any moisture for the uh, drought-stricken West? Unfortunately, that doesn't look to be the case. I mean, just like uh, what I was talking about here for the eastern Corn Belt, it's going to be kind of similar for the western Corn Belt. So systems are going to move through. It looks like some fronts are going to move through. Showers are going to be scattered, though. So uh, we're not going to see a whole lot of opportunity to really fill soils up here going in through at least the month of September. Uh, if we look a little bit further out, um, October looking to be kind of on the drier side of normal. Uh, so we'll probably be more under a ridge of high pressure uh, more often than not in October. That'll keep the temperatures up as well. So it'll help with harvest, but uh, it's not going to help with, uh, with the ongoing drought. We're probably going to have to wait until springtime to see any real significant relief in, those in the drought conditions out there. 
I was going to ask you about that long-range forecast for October. So you see pretty good harvest weather in October as well? For the most part, I think so, yeah. Um, temperatures still look like, uh, on the whole, uh, above normal across across the entire Corn Belt. Uh, and, and precipitation chances on the lower side of normal. So probably going to be under more of that dome of high pressure. Um, and anybody out there who's, uh, who's a, a winter wheat uh, planter, uh, we have a, a lower chance for a, a risk of an early frost as well. So um, it's not zero. There's always a system that could come by and just kind of screw up the whole month's worth of forecast. But uh, the risk for any uh, early frost this season is very low. Is it still dry in South America? It's not. Actually, the last, last week uh, we saw some good showers across Argentina and the southern parts of Brazil. Looks like that's going to continue with another couple of systems over the next week. Um, you know, the central Brazil areas have a distinct wet and dry season, and that uh, typically starts at the end of September. Now, the La Nina pattern we've had typically means a later start to that wet season across the higher production states of central Brazil. Uh, but models are actually thinking it might come right on time this year. So that's uh, that would be something very unusual and something we're watching. Um, but it's, it's possible that uh, they may luck out this year where they didn't last year. Last year's uh, wet season started about three or four weeks late. Um, and if models are right, then uh, it'll come on time this year. We just had Hurricane Ida, and it seems like this has become a very active storm season. Yeah, the, in the tropics it has been. So uh, we've already gone through I um, uh, here across the United States. We had J, K, and L uh, after that as well. So we're, we got Larry cooking up in the, in the central Atlantic. Good thing uh, is that it won't be hitting any land, uh, at least here in North America. So uh, that's good news. But uh, we do still have another couple of features we're watching here. You know, we're right at the, the peak of hurricane season in the Atlantic right now. So the next couple of weeks here, we're going to be continuing to watch some disturbances move off of off of uh, Africa, move up through the Gulf of Mexico, um, and see whether or not we can develop them into systems. This year's been pretty good. We've had some really good uh, temperatures across the Gulf of Mexico, across the Western Atlantic, to really fuel those storms. So, whenever we can get them uh, up and running, they, they they tend to take off. All right, John, again, it was good to see you last week at Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us. Right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. DTN meteorologist John Baranek. Well, up next, we're going to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer will join us as we see the headline, Ag Producer Sentiment Improved slightly in August compared to July. We'll see how much of an improvement and kind of break the numbers down a little bit with Michael Langmeyer coming up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. 
You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Coming off the three-day weekend, the grain and oilseed sector is lower across the board. The USDA WASDE report due out Friday. Traders will be aligning their positions to their expectations all week. Private trade estimates are calling for the average U.S. corn yield to increase 1.3 bushels per acre over the August estimate to 175.8 bushels per acre and the bean yield to increase 0.3 bushels per acre to 50.3. Traders expect U.S. corn and bean ending stocks will be increased for both the old crop and new crop. U.S. wheat carryover is expected to go the other direction. The average trade estimate predicts an 11 million bushel reduction in wheat carryover. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading 7.5 cent lower at 5.16 and a fraction. The March contract down 7.5 cent at 5.25 and three quarters. For soybeans, the November contract down 2 and a fraction at 12.89 and a half cent. The January contract down 2 and three quarters at 12 98 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down 11 and a half cent at 714 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December down six and three quarters at 716 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December down six cents at 906 and a half cent. The March contract down six and a half cent at 894 and three quarters. The pressure seen for cattle futures has been ruthless. Box beef prices continue to decline with choice cuts down a dollar fifty and select cuts down 84 cents last week. Once holiday demand is assessed, further price direction will be established. For live cattle futures on the Board of Trade, the October contract down 5 cents at 124.75. The December contract down 15 at 130.82. For feeder cattle, September down 47 at 158. Even the October contract down 65 at 161.82. In lean hogs, the October contract $1.20 lower at 88.37. December $1.17 lower at 80.92. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back as we talk it over with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Michael, thank you for joining us. And been a while since we've been able to say this, but we actually saw the numbers improve slightly this month. Slight increase from, uh, from the previous month, but it, the index has been relatively flat uh, the last three months. And so we were at 138 in August. Uh, that that compares to 134 in July and 137 in June, so relatively flat. Uh, when you look at the two sub indices, however, there was a, there was some improvement in the in the index of, of current conditions, and and I and I think that can be explained in, in a couple different ways. First of all, uh, you know, crop prices have held fairly steady in terms of the prospects for this this fall. But as we get closer to harvest, if, if if it's look if it's look if it looks like there's going to be a fairly good harvest, uh, people get a little bit more optimistic, and so we may see some. You know, depending on on, uh, on on the yield projections, we may see some improvement as we move into the fall, uh, based on based on the potential crop yields. So up just slightly from a month ago. How how do the August numbers this year compare to the August numbers last year? Well, the August numbers this year are are better, quite a bit better uh, than what they were last year, particularly the index of current conditions, and uh, but also the index of future expectations uh, is 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 down is, is actually down slightly, and so and so it's kind of a mixed bag. 
the current conditions index is up rather substantially, but that's not surprising. You know, prices started climbing uh, last fall. Uh, last fall, and, and they've really uh, stayed relatively high uh, compared to what they were last August. Uh, but in terms of index of future expectations, we are higher than what we were last. Uh, we, we are a little bit lower than what we were last summer, and that's a little bit uh, a little bit confusing. But uh, I, I, I think what's happening there is when you look at the index of future expectations uh, for the current month, uh, they're, they're seeing that prices are going to be a little bit lower uh, you know, than what they were in, in, in fall 2021, and I think that's keeping that index of future expectations a little bit lower than what it has been uh, has been earlier this year and also in, in the fall of last year. And we see a growing concern about rising input costs, don't we? That's definitely the case, and then we ask a couple questions related to that. One of the questions related to just general inflation and and they're expecting some some pretty strong uh, inflation in the economy. Uh, and you know the the ten year average is less than two percent uh, when you look at inflation, but a very large percentage of the people surveyed indicated they think they think uh, inflation is going to be above eight uh, percent. We also asked a question related to uh, uh, index of, of prices paid. Uh, your prices paid. Uh, USDA uh, prices paid index, which uh, is, is more directly related to agriculture, of course, and they're even more pessimistic there. Uh, there's a, a rather substantial group that think uh, uh, input prices are going to be up 8% or more. And uh, and if you take a look at the prices paid index so far this year, it's been up over 5%. Uh, and so I think those are definitely, people are recognizing that there's definitely going to be higher uh, input prices, particularly fertilizer. That's the one a lot of people talk about. But there's several other input prices look like they're going to be stronger, uh, seed, fuel, uh, and, and some other uh, input prices, too. Certainly feed. Uh, we have livestock producers uh, in, the, in the survey, and so feed prices are, are relatively high. And so uh, I, I think that's just reflecting the fact that, that uh, 20, 2021 and 2022 is just going to see higher inflation than what we've seen for quite some time. Supply change supply chain challenges are also impacting uh, purchase plans like for machinery. That's got to be part of it. And I think the supply chain, it's, it's deeper than machinery. I think it's also impacting you know, uh, uh, buildings, grain bins, uh, uh, machinery. But I think even to some extent, uh, you know, some of the variable inputs are being impacted uh, by supp- supply chain issues. And so these supply chain issues are running pretty deep right now. Uh, that's certainly, uh, certainly part uh, part of the the, the the input price pressure, but I think also when you see fuel prices increase, that that has a direct impact on fertilizer costs. And 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 uh, you know I remember when we had really high inflation in the late 70s and early 80s. Sometimes when people anticipate inflation, that's that the inflation starts getting built into prices. And so and so I think just in general, inflation the fact that inflation expectations are relatively high uh, is is a problematic. Uh, even if we get all the supply chain issues resolved uh, in, in the next few months, which we probably won't, I think we're still going to see some upward pressure on input prices. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. All right, what are farmers saying about land prices and cash rents? Yes, let me start with cash rents, and then I'll move into land values. It's been very consistent the last three months in terms of what they're thinking about cash rents. About one-half think that cash rents are going to be higher, and then almost uh, the remainder of the group think that cash rents are going to be flat. Almost nobody thinks that cash rents are going to be down this year. Again, that's because of the stronger uh, corn, soybean, and wheat prices. Uh, When you look at those that think uh, cash rent prices are going to be higher, a third of those people uh, think that they're going to be uh, higher by more than 10%. Uh, so that would be some pretty large changes. Uh, just for example, in Indiana since 2007, we have had three years uh, where cash rents were, were, were up 10% from a year-to-year basis, uh, but we haven't seen that since 2012. Um, uh, more people think that we're going to see uh, cash rents increasing in the 5 to 10% range, and so that seems to be kind of the magic spot for those that think they're going to increase. Uh, when you're talking land values, uh, these results are also very consistent uh, over the last three months. Uh, 53% think that land values could be higher in the next 12 months. Of course, we've seen some of that. Uh, you've know, seen some of that across the Corn Belt states in particular, higher land values. You can look at some of the surveys. And then two-thirds of the group think that land 
uh, value is going to be higher in the next five years. That's been very, very steady uh, for the last several months. It's been longer than three months that, that about two-thirds of the people think land value is going to be higher uh, in, in the next uh, in the next five years. And so the bottom line on cash rents, cash rent, higher cash rents is contributing uh, to the higher break-even prices that we're seeing uh, for, for crops that, that may be planted in 2022. Yeah, when we talk cash rents, um, you know, I think a lot of farmers uh, kind of expect those to be higher because a lot of times a landowner looks at, uh, hey, higher commodity prices they don't always take into consideration the higher input costs, and therein becomes that rub. You wind up then with the higher input costs as well as higher cash rents. Yes, that does happen. I mean, sometimes you overshoot. That's what that's the way I would put it. Sometimes we increase cash rents too much, uh, and, and, and you're exactly right. We don't always take into account the fact that input prices are increasing. And, and, and when you look at the respondents and their expectations of the increases in prices paid index, and you also look at the fact that you, you look at corn and soybeans in particular, which I pay a little closer to attention uh, than some of the other enterprises, we're looking at break-even prices that are 10% higher uh, in 2022 uh, compared to 2021. And so it is very important uh, when you're thinking about increasing cash rents is, is, is yes, there probably is some need for some uh, changes in cash rents, but we've got to be a little careful there. Uh, because we are seeing rather large changes in break-even prices for the operators. You've also been asking about cover crops. What did you learn? Yeah, we haven't asked this for a while. We asked this a, a, a while back, and then we decided to ask uh, questions about cover crops again. And so, uh, first of all, we said we asked, have you ever planted a cover crop on your operation? And almost two-thirds said yes. And so a large percentage of the respondents had at least tried a cover crop at some time. Forty uh, percent uh, of those uh, surveyed said that they're currently using cover crops. Uh, and there's, there's no real surprise, uh, you know, uh, about uh, the reasons for using cover crops. Of course, uh, uh, soil health uh, is, is, is a very important reason for using cover crops, uh, it, you know, as well as other soil benefits, um, um, you know, uh, some people said that it, it, it's not hurting yields. It might actually be helping yields. And so there was a lot of reasons why uh, people, are, people are using cover crops. When We also asked people that are not using cover crops why they were not using uh, cover crops. And that, that's about a third of the sample was not using cover crops. And, and the two big things that came out there is, is those that were not using them did not think they were profitable. Uh, and then they also thought that they lacked uh, the resources, the expertise uh, to use those, and so uh, and so that was the main reasons why they were not uh, using cover crops. One of the questions we asked that I thought was very interesting, you don't see very much information about this, and so I want to make sure I mention this. Uh, when we talked about how many uh, the people that were uh, currently using crop uh, cover crops, we asked how many years have you been planting cover crops, and the average for that group was 12 years, uh, which I was a little surprised it was that high, and uh, about half uh, were using them five years or less. But there was a group, uh, about 20%, uh, that were using cover crops for more than 15 years. And so, and so you've, got, you've got your true believers, you've got the people that have tried cover crops uh, and, and are still experimenting with cover crops, and you've got that group uh, that, that are not using cover crops. And so you really have three different groups uh, there uh, in, in terms of uh, the respondents. All right, Michael. So as you mentioned, uh, next month when the numbers come in, uh, I think uh, harvest yields will greatly impact probably uh, the sentiment of the farmers. Good yields will probably, uh, they'll be more optimistic. And if you're in the areas where you've had a tough year and the yields are not there, that you won't be quite as optimistic. Yeah, we'll be looking at the overall index related to yields. But also we have that specific question related to farm financial performance. Is your performance this year better than last year? And we actually saw that index increase in August already. Uh, and so that's the index in particular that I'll be paying close attention to. Uh, if that index increases rather dramatically, that tells me that they're pretty satisfied uh, with the potential crop yields. We will talk to you next month. Thank you, Michael. Okay. You bet. Take care. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest results from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're joined by Mimi Berlin, CHS Premium Lubricants Expert, to discuss equipment maintenance prep heading into harvest. All right, Mimi, with harvest season rapidly approaching, time for farmers to make sure their equipment is field ready. What do you suggest farmers should consider when preparing their equipment? There are three important considerations they need to ensure are on their prep list before they head out. The first is ensuring if that equipment is ready to go from last season. So I always tell folks, take a walk around that unit or each unit and inspect the outside. Does it need to be cleaned? Are there any areas that should be fixed or repaired? You know, any damage done during planting season, you want to get that repaired ahead of time. The second item would be to check inside of your equipment. So farmers can easily do this by conducting a lube scan used oil analysis. So similar to how farmers test the soil, a lube scan used oil analysis is essentially a blood test for your engine or your hydraulic system. And this test allows you to check inside your equipment to make sure it's operating appropriately, there aren't any concerns or contaminants that are getting in there, and gives you a nice clean report that basically diagnoses the health of your equipment. So if that report comes back and anything needs to be fixed, farmers should do that now. And then lastly, I would say really make sure that you're changing that fluid that's in there, flushing any grease as well on any components that are there, and then stock up on your lubricants. So you ensure that you're ready to go. You're not running back to, you know, the dealer, the store, the distributor. You're you're all set. Your bulk tank systems are full and you're saving time because you're not having to place another delivery or have any setbacks when it comes to product inventory. That's Mimi Berlin, CHS premium lubricants expert. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. 
We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, always good to talk with you. Want to get an update on uh, the extension of critical exemption for livestock haulers. Uh, this has been a, an issue you've been working on for quite some time. Give us a, the update, the, the latest on this. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, we're, we're pleased that FMCSA has granted another few months of this emergency declaration uh, that was secured at the beginning of COVID and continues to provide some additional flexibility for our livestock haulers to make sure that uh, they can get those animals where they need to go quickly and safely without being uh, unduly burdened by uh, some of those hours of service restrictions uh, at FMCSA. It's, it's not a permanent fix, but it does buy us some more time until November 30th uh, of this year. You know, we, we continue to have need for that flexibility um, and obviously, we still need to be working to find a permanent solution to this. But in the meantime, uh, this is this is good news. This this does give us some more uh, flexibility, and it allows us to continue to demonstrate that that really critical safety record. We've we've shown that we we can operate safely in this environment now for the better part of two years. Why is it so difficult to get a permanent fix to this? What's holding that back? You know uh, this this situation for for some time now has really come down to come you know some of those highway safety uh, advocacy groups and and certainly they have their place and we all want our roads to be safe but a real lack of recognition and understanding from some of those folks about the the, the unique nature of hauling live animals you know we always kind of make the the joking comparison that we're not hauling toilet paper we can't just pull over on the side of the road um, and and continuing to educate about that and continuing to I help people to understand that we are in a unique, uh, we're in a unique position, and and we're able to demonstrate, as I said earlier, that really good safety record. Our livestock haulers do an incredible job of of getting these animals where they need to go. But boy, when we need to scramble, when we have processing capacity issues or any other challenge that requires that we move those cattle around quickly and safely, we need to have that flexibility. Um, you know, we're hopeful that we can continue to have this conversation with. Uh, with FMCSA and DOT, we're pleased that this new administration uh, is continuing to take a view uh, similar to the previous administration, that that flexibility is needed. Um, that gives us some place, something to work on. You know, we're, we've got some language coming up in some of these bills pending on Capitol Hill uh, that would continue to, uh, to bump out flexibility uh, and potentially add an additional 150 air mile exemption on the back end of a haul. Um, so this continues to be a game of inches while we uh, educate and, and, and help people to understand what a unique uh, position we occupy uh, on America's highways. We're talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So you're happy with the uh, the extension on that and optimistic you'll get that worked out. But you're not happy with the administration's uh, wilderness designations, are you? You know, never. I mean, you know, the, the fact is you, you want to hear an earful about the problems with uh, the concept of wilderness designations after rancher. Um, you know, we end up in our industry being the, the front line that really has to, to, to bear a lot of the burden of, of what is kind of a flawed concept. It's a good idea, right? Obviously, everybody wants to preserve our natural environments and our great forests and wilderness areas. But that, that wilderness designation takes on so many negative I, I, uh, impacts for producers that are operating specifically on federal grazing permits, um, you know, it's kind of unintended consequences, right? It's like the Endangered Species Act or any of these things. When the federal government gets involved and they put these rules in place, it becomes a slippery slope. All of a sudden, gosh, you know, you're going to be able to operate and you're going to be able to use motorized vehicles and do these things start to go away. Uh, the footprint of grazing shrinks. And from our perspective, the real conservation benefit in those areas shrinks along with it. 
we believe that active management of those of those landscapes and and the good work that our producers do to keep those rangelands healthy uh, are are not just compatible with wilderness, but that's what's achieving that goal. So you know, kind of taking this lock the gate, keep everybody out mentality. That's old thinking. That's that's old environmental thinking from several decades ago that just isn't isn't where the conversation is today. So it's disappointing to see. Um, you know, the, the administration celebrate National Wilderness Month. But at the same time, we understand that they have some other constituencies that really highly value that and think it's a great, uh, great tool. And, and we just need to continue to uh, educate and help people understand that it's not a great tool for everybody. And Ethan, now that we're past uh, Labor Day, the focus is going to be again on the infrastructure bill and the budget resolution package. Uh, what do you expect there? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, we're going to find out um, just what has happened to the uh, the president's uh, political capital here in the last couple weeks. You know, we've all kind of watched uh, some of the news coming out of places like Afghanistan, uh, you know, some of the COVID resurgence issues and, and what that's done to the president's uh, ability to, to really advance his agenda. Um, and they don't seem connected until you start looking at what it's going to take to move this legislation on Capitol Hill over the next couple weeks. There are some big ticket items coming up, and there is very little time left on the calendar uh, to deal with some of these things. We need to fund the government by the end of this month. Uh, we've got a debt limit increase, which is always contentious on Capitol Hill, uh, that is pending. And the, the left wing of the Democratic Party is really uh, hitting the gas on the president and demanding more, more, more uh, of their priorities. They, I think, in, in some part, are viewing this as like a window that's closing um, as we start looking towards midterm elections. And so the pressure is really on. Um, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, after these members of Congress return from some, some time off in their districts, hearing from their constituents, uh, mm -hmm. if, their, if their political calculus has changed, particularly those moderate Democrats. Um, that have really been a, a you know a, a speed bump for for Democrats advancing this agenda. Yeah, the political landscape is ever changing. That's for sure. Ethan, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. You too, Mike. Talk soon. Take care, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. With that, we wrap it up for today and look ahead to tomorrow. We're going to get a preview of Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska. We're also going to talk about the impacts of Hurricane Ida on infrastructure as that cleanup and repair continues as we are into the harvest season. We'll talk with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, see just how the infrastructure, the transportation system looks. Uh, is it ready for this harvest season? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.